Hi, Journey. Great to be with every single one of you today. Isn't that baptism deal just the best? Way to go, Connor and Nick. Yeah, we're so proud of you guys. Yeah. Some of you might need to take that same step of faith and obedience, and you might need to be baptized yourself. You, you might have been following Jesus for a long, long time, but you've never, as we like to say, gone public with it. And if that's you, uh, gone public with your faith, and if that's you, then let's talk about that, and uh, you can use that card and say, hey, I need to go public. I need to be baptized. I want to thank you from the depths of my heart uh, on behalf of the Summers family. Thank you very, very much. Every single one of you who got around the Summers family uh, in the last week, really over the last two weeks, it's been for your prayers and for your cards and for your meals, for your service at Sam's Celebration of Life on Thursday. Uh, Way to go. I think God was honored in the story of Sam's life in Jesus Christ was proclaimed boldly. And I just want to say, like as a family moment, that we're not done serving Connie and the Summers family. Real frankly, loving them well is just now beginning, honestly, because for us, life just keeps going, right? We're all real busy, but it isn't like that for Connie. It's not like that for the Summers family. Now, that doesn't mean that we can all just, you know, drop in on Connie night and day and visit with her hours on end and so, but it does mean that we can and we will develop a care plan to walk with Connie and uh, Sam and Connie's daughters through these days in a way that communicates to them that we've not forgotten their grief and that we actually want to come alongside them and help them bear their burdens in these days and love them really, really well. We'll be putting together that plan in the coming days. If you'd like to be a part of that care team in an ongoing way, lots of you told us last week you wanted to be a part of that. If you didn't, if you want to be a part of serving the Summers family in an ongoing way, even like for years, you can just grab one of those cards and let us know. Just say, I want to serve the Summers family in these days. We'll be in touch with you and help you connect with that team. This is week three of the series that we call Covenant and Kingdom. We're 50%, we're halfway through, which means if you're reading along with us in Mike Breen's book by the very same title, uh, we're about halfway through the book, actually. It is not too late for you to get in on that book deal. We've got some in the lobby today, so grab one if you haven't yet grabbed one of those. We're on about page 133 or so uh, today, supposed to be on page 133 or so for today, and it would be possible for you to get that book today and get caught up. I know you can do it, so uh, it'll be like a piece of cake. Grab a book and get caught up today, and I want to just lay out where we're headed today. We're going to unpack how these two DNA strands from the scriptures actually start to spiral together. Remember back a couple of weeks how we looked at the first strand of DNA from the Bible? What, what was it? It's a C word, covenant. That's exactly right. Covenant, and another word for covenant is relationship, right? We're in covenant relationship with the God of the universe. Another word that would be synonymous with covenant is this word being, right? We're being with God. It isn't a doing thing. It's a being with God. The definitive story from the scriptures that fleshes out that covenant, that relationship, that being is the story of Abraham and Sarah, if you remember from the book of Genesis. Last week, Bob very capably showed us the second strand of DNA from the Bible, which is which word? Kingdom is the word kingdom. I heard a lot of wrong answers. The word is kingdom. I love you, but the word is kingdom. And when we talk about that word kingdom, we're talking about God's kingdom. 
And it's God who is on the throne, even the throne of our lives. And God is actually always and forever wanting to break through into the kingdom of this world. And he wants to break into the kingdom of this world in and through your life and my life. Kingdom is all about this word responsibility would be a synonym for kingdom. Doing would be another way to think about kingdom. So there's being and doing, relationship and responsibility, covenant and kingdom. And Bob walked us through last week the story of Joseph and how the life of Joseph in the book of Genesis embodies the kingdom strand of DNA from scripture. Now those two strands of DNA from the Bible begin to spiral together in one man, the man we're going to talk about today, and his name is Moses. We're flipping over now to the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus, and Moses is a man of both covenant and of kingdom, of both relationship and responsibility and being and doing, and we're going to see that all throughout his life. We're going to survey about 20 chapters of scriptures, some of which I'll just sort of skim over and talk about, others of which I will show you to see how those strands of covenant and kingdom twist together in the life of Moses. So put on your running shoes because we got to go. The book of Exodus in the Bible opens with the narrative, if you're familiar with the story of these really quite tyrannical times. Moses was born really into an evil epoch in history. Egyptians were threatened by the Israelites' very, very rapid multiplication, and so the Egyptians elected to make the Israelites their slaves. Israelites were multiplying, multiplying, multiplying. There was more and more and more of them. So the Egyptians said, here's what we better do. Let's make them our slaves. We'll just work them harder. And by working them harder, their drive to procreate will just diminish. Well, that didn't work. Israelites just kept being born and kept being born and kept being born. And so Israel's population is exploding. The Pharaoh, the Egyptian king, orders that all, check this out, Israelite boys be killed at their birth, infanticide, ordered by the king of Egypt. That didn't work out so well. The midwives actually let Hebrew boys live. Moses was born into that time period, and shortly, if you remember the story, thereafter, Moses was rescued. There he was, little Moses, baby Moses, in a basket floating in the Nile River. The princess of Egypt finds him, rescues him, raises him in the palace of the Egyptian king, Pharaoh. That means that Moses was raised as a prince. He had the best opportunities, the very best education, but Moses knew at his core who in the world he was. He's not an Egyptian, he's an Israelite, he belongs to God, and one day his temper flared. He saw one of his fellow Israelites being beaten, abused. And he elected to, if you know the story, take matters into his own hands. And he kills the Egyptian guard who was beating his fellow Israelite, kills him dead. Now Moses, what's he do? He freaks out, doesn't he? Just like you or I would do if we had just killed somebody. He freaked out, and so Moses runs off. Now where's Moses run off to? Remember the story? He goes to the desert, Moses runs way off to the desert, and he's going to hide out in the desert. He's going to hang out in the desert. And some people, they would look on the life of Moses and go, he's a murderer. He's killed somebody. There's blood on his hands. Moses should be disqualified in lots of people's perspective from ever being able to serve God, right? You kill somebody, and well, you're sort of cast to the margins, 
right? But I love what Chuck Swindoll says about Moses. Here, in the story of Moses, when he kills this Egyptian guard, we see the beginning of a narrative, check this out, that is every single one of our lives. It's us. We're blessed. Moses was blessed. We're broken. Moses was certainly broken. That's what this desert was all about. We'll talk about that in a second. And then we are used by God. Then we are used by God. And that's just kind of how it goes with everybody, right? We experience usually tremendous blessing. And then along the way in the blessing, they find that God calls us into a season of brokenness. Oh my gosh, and none of us like that. And then from our brokenness, God raises up people, us, to be useful for him, sent on his kingdom mission. So Moses killing the Egyptian guard, running off into the desert, that's really Moses' breaking phase. He's being broken in that season. I find it very, very interesting that in the breaking phase, Moses finds himself a wife. Her name, at least her nickname, was Zippy. If you look at Exodus chapter 2 in the text, also in the brokenness phase of Moses' life, they bear children. Moses' job, he has a job in this season of brokenness, is to tend to his father-in-law's sheep, which is quite something. This is actually a prince of Egypt. He would have been a son of immense privilege, and now his work is to tend to sheep that do not even belong to him. He is indeed broken. We turn over to Exodus chapter 3. Moses leads those sheep who do not belong to him, which do not belong to him, clear across to the other side of the desert. He's not just hanging out on the fringes of the desert. He's plunging all in. Why in the world? Why in the world would Moses plunge all the way in, all the way to the other side of the desert? It's because Moses discovers what we see again and again and again all throughout the sacred text of Scripture, that desert is all about him, all about us knowing our covenant God intimately. Isn't it about just this surface relationship with God when times are good and when the calves are fattened and everything is up and to the right? The desert is all about us knowing God intimately, even in the brokenness. It's about being in relationship with God, becoming entirely, completely, totally dependent on him. Moses plunges all the way into the core of the desert. He goes through the middle all the way to the other side, dependent on God. And God is leading Moses, even in the season of brokenness, even in the season of hardship, even in the season of pain, God leads Moses to the mountain, Mount Sinai, and all of a sudden, Moses comes face to face with the living God. God shows up, he comes to Moses, how? Remember the story? Fire, that's exactly right. In the burning bush, let's look at the scene, Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 2. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Notice he's talking to himself because, well, it's the desert. There wasn't anybody else there to talk to. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. 
Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. And you notice, don't you, the very first thing that God speaks to Moses after the sort of perfunctories of careful, take your shoes off, please. The first thing that God talks to Moses about is covenant. The first thing God talks to Moses about is being. The first thing God talks to Moses about is relationship. God says, look, Moses, you're a son of Abraham. Your identity, your identity, who you are at your very core comes from me and me alone. It doesn't come from anywhere else. It doesn't come from you being a son of the king of Egypt. It comes from you being a son of the most high God. You, Moses, you are mine. And God goes on in the narrative, this being, this relationship conversation, and then look what God says to Moses. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. That's the nation of Israel. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers, like the one you killed, Moses. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me. I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Now go, now go. We've been talking, Moses, about who you are at your very core, your identity. Now it's time, only out of that relationship, it's time for you to go, for I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. And something interesting is you notice what God calls the people of Israel. What's he call them? My people. They're not just the people, the sort of general speaking people. They're my people, secured by the covenant that God had made with Abraham. And God's never giving up on his people. He's always faithful to his people. He's forever true. He is always unchanging. And so you see, out of this covenant being relationship, this very vertical relationship with God, it's only out of that relationship that God sends Moses. Moses has this abiding relationship with God. Moses has been out in the desert really being pruned, hasn't he? That desert walk, that desert journey, herding the sheep in the desert has been all about Moses being pruned. Hey, look, Moses, we can't be killing any more Egyptian guards, right? We're gonna prune that out of your life. We're gonna move on to bigger and better things than killing Egyptian guards. Moses is being pruned, and it's out of this being, it's out of this covenantal relationship, this abiding relationship with God, then, and only then, does God send Moses to be about his kingdom responsibility, his kingdom business. It's covenant first, kingdom next. God says, Moses, you're my kid. You're my son. And because of who you are in me, I'm sending you out to do the work of my kingdom. And what's Moses say? Uh-uh. Not me, God. 
You can send anybody else, but he ain't sending me. And you see this scene that unfolds next. Really, it's Moses bartering with the God of the universe. It's Moses negotiating back and forth, God and Moses. And if you remember all the way back to week one, a couple of weeks back, I told you that that's how it goes when you're in covenant abiding relationship with God. It's the kind of language that you're actually free to use with God. And we get sort of paranoid sometimes. We're like, well, no, I could never say that to God because it might like offend him. Ha. Uh-uh. Right? It is God, and we do need to enter into a conversation with him with immense respect. But God is unoffendable. Really, God is unoffendable. He can take it. And when you're in covenant relationship with him, you're free to have these sorts of conversations. God, how about, God, what if, God, what in the world is that? And it's the kind of conversation that Moses has with God. That's the kind of conversation that we're free in covenant relationship to use with God. Moses talks to God about how he's not an eloquent speaker, and so how about my brother Aaron, how about he help me out? God, you whisper in my ear, I'll whisper in Aaron's ear, and Aaron can speak eloquently, articulately. God's like, okay, if you want Aaron to be the mouthpiece, that's fine, but you're still going, Moses. You're not off the hook. And so Moses, this man of the covenant with God, with just a wee bit of difficulty, makes the journey back to Egypt to be about the work of God's kingdom. Moses is now going to confront head-on the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of Pharaoh. Here we go. And through Moses, the kingdom of God advances. Again and again and again, God tries, and if you read the stories of the plagues, God is trying to break in and break through to the heart of Pharaoh. But really, with each and every plague, Pharaoh hardens his heart more and more. Finally, God reaches the end of that process, and well, Pharaoh, he's just not going to repent. Really, he's unable to repent. And you go to Exodus 11 and 12. God instructs his covenant people, the people of Israel, to create a doorway of blood. The doorway of blood. And that doorway of blood, if you remember back to week one, echoes the corridor of blood with Abraham. Remember the animals that he sliced down the middle, except the birds, you don't cut the birds down the middle, but all those other animals, you slice them in half, and then God passed down that corridor of blood, and this time with the doorway of blood, whoever would pass through that gateway, the blood of the lamb was covered by God's covenant provision. You're mine, you're safe, you're in me, you're my children. And God releases the angel of death tragically. And the people of Israel were safe and protected, but every single of the firstborn children of Egypt perished. And Pharaoh's like, okay, uncle, Uncle, just get the heck out of here, please. Go, take whatever you want. The Israelites bail out. They plunder the nation of Egypt as they're going. A little later, Israel crosses the Red Sea. You all know this story. If you haven't read it from the text, you must read Exodus chapter 14. And then you come all the way to Exodus chapter 19. God leads his entire nation of Israel to Mount Sinai. Now remember, Moses has been to Mount Sinai before. This is not a strange place to him. That's where the burning bush 
happened, and God shows up again. He meets Moses. He meets the people of Israel there, Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6. Now, if you will obey me, if you, not just Moses, but the nation, the people of Israel, you, my chosen people, if you'll obey me, if you'll keep my covenant, if you'll live in intimate relationship with me, then look what will happen. You will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth. For all the earth belongs to me, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. God says, look, if you'll just be my kids, if you'll just look to me and trust me and follow me and obey me, remain faithful to this covenant relationship, then I'm going to set you apart. You're going to be a special people above all the others. You'll really be a crown of my entire creation. And that's saying something. You, the people of Israel, you will be my priests. And then the very next thing that God does is he gives his people this framework, Exodus chapter 20. What does God hand down through Moses to the people of Israel in Exodus chapter 20? Ten what? Ten commandments. That's exactly right. Ten commandments. And those ten commandments, see, were not meant to be a straitjacket to the people of Israel. They were not meant to be a straitjacket to any of us. The ten commandments are meant to be freeing. Because you see, what's true is that you and I, the nation of Israel then, you and I today, the nation of Israel then, we're only free really when we know what in the world the boundaries are, when we know where the blessing and the protection and the provision is, that is where there is freedom inside of this framework. And lots and lots of people resist the Ten Commandments. They think about them in straitjacket terms. God's just binding us up. He doesn't want us to have any fun. And lots and lots of people these days become fully obedient to God without the identity piece, without the covenant intimate relationship piece. And so sheer obedience just becomes the mark of their lives, separate from identity, separate from being God's kids. And do you know what you call obedience without identity? You know what you call it? L word, legalism. Obedience without identity is legalism. I'm just simply obeying God because he tells me to. It isn't coming up out of my identity, who I am in God. I'm not obeying God because I love him, because I want to give my life to him. I'm just obeying him. I just grit my teeth, and I just do what he tells me to do. Legalism. And legalism is and always will be lifeless religion. Legalism will always be lifeless religion religion. It isn't about this vibrant, intimate, covenantal relationship with the God of the universe, us being his kids, him being our heavenly father. God says, I want you to be my kids. This isn't just lifeless religion. This is about you and me living in intimacy, you obeying me because you want to please me. Now hear me, please. I am all about obedience to the Lord. I am all about full-hearted obedience to the Lord. Every single day of my life, I'm trying, I'm seeking to hear from God. I'm seeking to do what he's asking me to do. But he wants that obedience to come out of covenantal identity in him. It starts 
with him. It doesn't start with just us obeying him. I want to show you sort of how this lays out via these triangles. I put these on your notes page so you can take them with you. God is our father, our heavenly father, the giver of life, the one who breathed breath into our lungs. And so you see, it's out of our relationship with our heavenly father that our identity comes. That's who we are. We are children of God. And then look what happens. Out of this identity that comes out of relationship comes our obedience. I am all about pleasing the heart of my father. I just want to please him. I just want to please him. I want to make God smile. Another way to look at it would be this way. Through the king lens, God is our king. Right? Which means us, as his children, we have royal blood coursing through our veins. Which means you and I, as children of the king of the universe, we carry with us his authority. It is given to us by virtue of our identity in him. Out of that authority then comes the power of God via the Holy Spirit through our lives in and through our lives. And if you lay these over the top of each other, which I won't do, but you see king and father related. Identity and authority related. Power and obedience related. You see, what God wanted Moses to do was break the bonds of tyranny. Moses, I want you to set my people free. And just like Moses, God is asking, he's tapping every single one of us on the shoulder every single day and asking us to do the very same thing. I want you, my sons and my daughters, to be about breaking the bonds of tyranny in this world today. Which is why God invites and calls and challenges us to feed the hungry, breaking bonds of tyranny. God invites and calls and challenges all of us to care for widows and orphans, breaking bonds of tyranny. God's asking you and I to come just like Moses in his authority, wielding only his power. It's not us, it's the power of God in and through us, breaking the chains of the kingdom of this world. But it all starts with covenant intimacy with our Heavenly Father. It doesn't start with the kingdom assignment, I, I gotta go. You see, the assignment comes out of covenant intimacy with him. Moses got it right. Moses got it right. Now, Moses wasn't perfect, absolutely not. But for Moses, God's kingdom assignment was not the subject. God's kingdom assignment for Moses was not the primary agenda. Covenant relationship was. Moses wasn't rushing off to do the work of the kingdom such that he became detached from his sense of identity of covenant relationship with God. His identity and authority and his obedience and his power were all rooted in the reality of covenant. And for Moses, it took going off to the desert, the season of brokenness, this season of pruning. And it's real likely that it's going to go just the same way with you and I as we're seeking to live on God's mission, breaking bonds of tyranny. I invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads. You can set your stuff aside if you would and invite you to go to prayer.
And I just invite you and the Lord to think on this idea. Is my kingdom assignment, is it coming out of covenant identity with God? Or am I putting the cart before the horse? Is it kingdom first and, oh yeah, then I'll attend to my covenant relationship? Which is it? God says to every single one of us, please be my kid first and foremost. Follow me first and foremost. Trust me first and foremost. Listen to me first and foremost. out of covenant intimacy comes kingdom business comes kingdom assignment comes kingdom fruit from a season of abiding from a season of pruning from a season of desert into a season of profound kingdom fruitfulness kingdom service God for every single one of us that you would calibrate those two realities that you would help us calibrate the abiding presence with you the pruning that you desire to do in every single one of us where you clear out the junk where you refine our character where we do hard and serious business with you And then, God, you send us out to be profoundly fruitful for your kingdom. May that be us, every single one of us. God, I believe you want that for us just like you wanted it for Moses. And, oh, God, that we would live in that reality. That we wouldn't just tip over one way or the other. I'm all about abiding and not about any fruit bearing or I'm all about fruit bearing and not about any abiding that you would rightly calibrate those in every single one of our lives that our obedience to you would bubble up out of our identity in you who you made us to be your sons and daughters sons and we are your daughters and we love you and we worship you. It's you we adore God. Work in us. Shape our character. And then trust us. Please God, trust us with profound kingdom work. We love you, Jesus. Jesus.